God, we just thank you so much for this morning, God. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done for us, God, by sending your son to die on the cross, Lord. God, we just can't even begin to thank you enough for the God that you are, for how much you care for us, for how much you love us, Lord. And I just pray that, God, you would continue to care for us, God. Continue to love us as your word promises, God. That this morning as we come here and study your word, God, you would just show us the truth of who you are, God. The truth of who you are to us, God, and how much you love us, Lord. I pray that that would become real in our hearts and real in our lives, Lord, and it would absolutely change the way that we live and who we are. And I thank you for all these things, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you see me going like this, it's just going to have to happen. I'm sorry. Um, well, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit this morning, and, and, and I, w- I was really excited when um, I was told the, the section that I got to, to choose from. If, if you guys haven't been paying attention, we've been going through the Psalms, and there's been a reading plan, and there's 10 Psalms every week, um, and, and those 10 are the ones that get handed to the, to the speaker to choose from, um, to teach from that week. So I was really excited about this week, um, and specifically because uh, this one psalm rested in here. If, if you guys have, have been here over the summer series, uh, you've probably catched on to a theme going on with psalms, and that is emo. David is super emotional and just like, oh, life sucks, everybody hates me. And it's just, it, it's, it's great to read at times because usually by the end of those same psalms, he's coming back to like, but God, I will still praise your name, I will still bless you among the nations, and that's awesome and that's cool. But when I read this one, I was so excited because I was like, yes, this one's like awesome and excited and happy. So we don't have to be emo this week. We get to read Happy David. Um, And I was really excited to to read this with you guys and to talk a little bit about it. Um, But I want to get down to the real heart behind what's going on in this psalm. Um, And the real heart of what I feel like is going on in a lot of our lives and and the problems that we run into on, on a daily basis um, and I was thinking through this and as I was reading the psalm this week, and I read it a bunch of times just over and over and over, um, and really tried to dial down to kind of what David was getting at here. Uh, and it really kind of all comes back to this idea, I think, that, that we as humans don't have a right view of God. We don't have a proper view of God. And what I mean by that is we don't view God for, for the awesome, powerful, awe-inspiring being that he is. We view God as, as, as kind of this uh, genie in a box where when we're in a bind, where when we're in a pinch, when we're in trouble, we can just kind of say, okay, God, please get me out of this. And, and then things get better and we're like, yes, God, thank you. And we just kind of go back about our lives. And a lot of the sin, a lot of the temptation that I think we fall into as humans is because we don't have a right view of God. We don't view our God as the awe-inspiring creator of the universe. We don't view our God as the God who with a breath made everything that you see around you. That's not the God we think of when we stand up here and we sing these songs. The Old Testament used this awesome word when it spoke uh, of God. It, It talked about people having a fear of God. A healthy fear of God. And this isn't like being terrified, like, oh my gosh, why would, you know, I'm so scared, let me go run and hide. This is just an awe-inspired reverence for who God is. 
a reverence for what he can do, a reverence for the power that he has, and a reverence for his holiness. And so that being said, I want to spend a few minutes today looking at what it looks like and, and what David understood as a right view of God. And before we jump in, I want to read you guys a quote. This is um, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest theologians of our time. Um, he has an entire, uh, it's called The Treasury of David, uh, and it's an entire kind of expository outline on the books of David and, and kind of honing in on the Psalms, but he goes through verse by verse every single Psalm. Um, I don't know how he had time to do all that with his life. That's pretty much all he ever did, I guess. But um, He had a quote specifically about this Psalm, and I loved it, and I just wanted to read it to you guys. As in the lofty Alps, some peaks rise above all others. So among even the inspired Psalms, there are heights of song which overtop the rest. This 103rd Psalm has ever seemed to us to be the Monte Rosa of the divine chains of mountains of praise. Glowing with a ruddier light than any of the rest, it is the apple tree among the trees of the wood, and its golden fruit has a flavor such as no fruit ever bears unless it has been ripened in the full sunshine of mercy. It is man's reply to the benedictions of his God, his song on the mount answering to his Redeemer's sermon on the mount. That's where we're going to spend some time this morning. That's what we're going to try to break down this morning, this beautiful reply to God's graciousness, to God's mercy. And so if you guys have your Bible, I want you to open up with me to Psalm 103. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to go grab one in the back. Um, Last time I said that when I was up here teaching, someone came up to me afterwards and they were like, hey, no matter how nice you make that seem, it's going to be super awkward to get up and go get a Bible in the back. So I understand that, but I don't care. Please go get a Bible in the back if you don't have one. Look on someone next to you. Don't feel free. Don't feel weird to open up your phone and use that. If you want to come get my phone, it's in the back. You can go grab my phone and open it up and use it. I just want you to have a Bible in front of your face right now as we read this. So whether it's in front of your face or the person next to you, grab one and try to read along with us. Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems you your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We're going to pause right there for a sec, because he speaks about something so crucial here right in the first few verses, and that is the idea, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is David starting out, and he's saying, God, more than anything in my life, I want my soul to bless your name. I want my soul to praise you. And why is he doing that? Because of who God is. He's not doing that because he thinks that that God is this false God. You know, he's not doing that like all the rest of the the people and the nations in his day and age who are worshiping these false gods and, and having all these religious practices for false gods. He's doing this purely because God has proven himself over and over. He has a right view of God and he wants to say, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. All that is within me, not just part of me, not just the part that shows up on Sunday morning for worship time, but all that is within me. God has created you and he's created me as such beautiful, intricate beings. We have emotions, 
sometimes that run rampant and we need to control them. But we have these beautiful emotions that God has given us and, and, and those are also what we can worship God with. Every ounce of our being, every ounce of our life, we can worship God with. And something huge to key on here is he says, bless the Lord and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It seems that David's kind of keying in on this idea of holiness. And maybe he's pointing to the fact that that is the reason that we bless God. That is the reason that we praise God. That is the reason that we worship God because of his holy name. Because of who he is. Because of his holiness. Because of the fact that he is set apart. Because of the fact that he is higher than us. Because of the fact that he is the awe-inspiring creator. Because he is holy, that is why we bless his holy name. So he goes on and he says, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. Literally right there it means who fills your soul with goodness. And when you read through this list of all these benefits of worshiping God, these benefits of fearing the Lord, it's so beautiful to me that it starts with who forgives all your iniquities. The new King James, or, or the King James, sorry, that really old one that has all those ists and thous and these and thines, the, the stuff that you never read unless, you're, uh, unless the pastor's like 70 and in robes. Um, I tried to get Ben to wear robes. He's never about it. Um, the, the King James says, who forgiveth all of your iniquity. I love that. It just sounds so much more official. Who forgiveth all of your iniquity. The, the coolest thing about that to me is that, that it's what starts that entire thing. That our relationship with God, our interaction with God, has to start with His forgiveness for our iniquity. We're imperfect. We're flawed. God is not. He is perfect. He is holy. He is set apart. Our interaction with Him has to start with His forgiveness of our iniquity. From there, we can interact from God. From there, we can interact and experience all these other things, the healing of diseases, the redeeming of our life from the pit, the crowns of steadfast love and mercy. From forgiveness spreads all these other things in our life. And David has a correct view of who spawns all of that. It's God's mercy and God's forgiveness. That word forgiveness there in the Hebrew is actually uh, infinitive absolute, which means it is something that is continually occurring. It doesn't mean that God forgave once. It means that God is forgiving, that God is a forgiving God, and, and that when he forgave on the cross, it forgives every sin that you'll ever experience. So in your life, as you go through time and continue to fall, God has forgiven that sin. It is absolute. That sin is forgiven. And because of that forgiveness, we can then experience God in all the other ways that this psalm has to tell us. It says something kind of interesting there right at the, the end. And I, as, as I read through this, I read through this probably six or seven times, and I was like, what does that even mean? Why does that in there? I was so confused by it. And so I started looking up some commentaries and kind of figured out what it meant, and I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an illustration. Feel free to laugh at this if you want. It says, who satisfies you with goods so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. I was like, that's cool. I like eagles. I like America. What does this mean, though? So I've got these couple of pictures real quick. First picture. Eagle, right? 
What kind of eagle, though? Because you know there's more than one kind of eagle. Anyone want to take a shot? What kind of eagle that is? All right, cool. Don't take a shot. That's fine. That's a bald eagle. But that's not what we think of when we see bald eagle, right? That's not what I envision when I picture bald eagle. But this is a bald eagle. And actually what this is, this is a bald eagle who's, who's young but who's growing up and who's getting to a point where it's going to shed all of its feathers and, 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 and renew its strength, like it says here. When I pull this picture up, though, I was kind of thinking, this guy's having a rough day. He couldn't find a tree to, like, like to majestically perch upon. He's just on some brush at the beach with the pigeons. That's just a rough, a rough life for the eagle. Next picture. Another one. This guy's just having a rough time. Bad hair day. Again, bald eagle, though. That's not what you think of when you think of bald eagle. Next picture. What do you think of when you think of bald eagle? That. America. But that eagle from before actually loses all of its feathers, and it, it, as it grows, and as it figures things out, and not as it figures things out, it doesn't naturally think, like, I'm going to shed now. Um, but as it grows and it matures, it loses all those immature feathers, and it regains this beautiful look. And the last one, real quick, America. Um, okay, moving on. What, what, what the psalmist is saying here is, is that as we go through hard times in life, as we go through tough things, what, what's going to happen is God's going to continue to grow us. He's going to continue to have love and mercy for us. And he's going to renew our strength like the eagles. He's going to renew our youth like the eagles. He's saying we're going to molt away that old life. We're going to shed away that old life of sin and destruction and despair. And we're going to find new strength in God and who he is. And you're going to fly like the eagles. Let the spirit set you free. Um, that was an old 90s song, sorry. Um, so there's this beautiful picture of what God does in our life and how he interacts with us. And as he goes on in verse 6, we're going to read the next section here. It's a little longer section, so stick with me. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, or in other words, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I love this section. This, this is a proper view of God. This is a proper view of God and who he is. This shows the awe-inspiring might of God as well as the love and mercy that he shows you and I on a daily basis. This is a proper view of God. And it's so amazing to read, to, to, to read through this and, and to talk about the righteousness of God. How he showed his acts to Israel all, as you read through the Old Testament from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But especially if you read the Old Testament, you continue to see God 
work with Israel and work with Israel and Israel fall and God redeem them and Israel fall and God redeem them and Israel fall. It's just this continual process over and over and over. And what he's saying here is you see through that the mercy of God. You see through that the mercy of God. And I love that he says in, in verse 9, he will not always chide, or your, your uh, version might say, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. That's an interesting point that I want to point out. God's not going to continue this forever. This waiting, we feel like because we've been so, so long removed from David and, and from Jesus on the cross, that we're just kind of going to church on Sundays and going on Wednesdays and, and living this life kind of doing whatever, and God's saying, I'm, I'm not going to hold back my anger forever. I have a, a, a true justice. I have a wrath that is going to be poured out on this earth. And if you flip over real quick, I'll read it to you. Um, in Second Peter, Peter makes this very clear when he says in Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, he says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is speaking of a future time that we're not far away from. When God is going to come down and he's going to judge the earth and the people on it for what it truly is. David understood that. The apostles in the New Testament understood that. And it really kind of directed the way that they lived their life. Their view of God and, and His holiness and what He was going to do in the future kind of directed the way that they lived. And it should direct ours too. We should understand, like it says there in verse 9, uh, He will not keep His anger forever. He's not going to keep His anger forever. He's going to pour out His wrath and judgment on this world, but be so clear to understand verse 10 he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him that's the god that we serve a god who is is just a god who is right a god who is awe-inspiring and amazing but a god who is just as much loving and merciful a God who is just as much loving and merciful. David somehow understood this long before Jesus Christ. He somehow understood this idea that God is not going to deal with us according to our sins. God is going to deal with us according to his love and mercy. And that's the reality because in Old Testament times it didn't seem like that. It seemed like if you sinned you were punished. But David understood there's going to come a time when something's going to happen and God is going to deal with his people through the sacrifice of something else. The sacrifice of someone else. It's no longer going to be whether you can do right or wrong because you're a sinful person and you're just going to do wrong. That's the reality of it. I'm a sinful person and I'm just going to do wrong. I'm just going to screw up every day and I'm just going to fall short. So God says, I'm not going to deal with you on what you can do and what you can't do. I'm going to deal with you on the, on the terms of what my son can do. And I'm going to send him, and he can live a perfect life for you. David understood this truth here when he said, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He goes on in verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
as far as the east is from the west, and I don't want to dwell on this point forever, but it is cool to think about the idea of how far is the east is how far is the east from the west. I mean, if I leave church today and I start driving east, or let's say I get in a plane because you can't really drive east continually. Let's say I get in a plane and I start flying east. How long do I have to fly before I'm going west? It's impossible. It's an infinite amount. You can't continually go one direction until you're heading the other direction. He's saying he has removed our transgressions from us to, to a ridiculously infinite amount that we cannot possibly understand. That's how far he's taken your sin away from you and me. And I love this in verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's such a beautiful thing to me. Because let me tell you this. I had a dad. He passed away when I was 13. Um, but I'm also about to become a dad fairly soon here. And that is terrifying. Um, but when I try to figure out how to do that, a lot of times I start thinking about the way that my dad treated me. And I'm going to tell you, he was way nicer than he should have been. I was an idiot, absolutely. One time, I think I was, um, I don't know, probably like 11, maybe 12. We had this really long driveway at our house, and it was like down a big hill, and it came up around the side. And um, We were getting ready to go to church in the morning, um, and my dad said, you know, hey, handed me the keys and said, go back the car to the garage and bring it around here. And as an 11-year-old boy, you're like, yes driving the car, even though it's just down the driveway. But here's the thing about this, is my dad was a doctor, but never put money into cars, never really cared about them. Uh, growing up, I remember my dad had like a 1982 like Pontiac G1000. It sounds like a cool sports car. It's not. It was like a Ford Pinto hatchback. Um, after that, he stepped his game up and got like a 91 Ford Aerostar minivan. Um, uh, and he actually went through a couple of those. Um, and so this is, this is a little later on, and he had, like, finally decided, you know what, I'm going to get a used car, but I'm going to get a little bit nicer one. It was, like, a one- or two-year-old, like, Infiniti G20. And my dad wasn't, like, one to, like, he wasn't one to really care about cars, but, I mean, he liked the fact that he had gotten this new car. And all the other doctors have been like, whoa, no more, win- no more Aerostar for you. And so, you know, he, he thought it was kind of cool, and, and he handed me the keys and said, go back this out of the car, and I, out of the, the garage and pull it up here. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I get in the car, and I'm, like, too small to even, like, look over my shoulder because there's still a seat right here. I can't see anything. So I'm, like, I, I flip it in reverse, and I'm, like, real slowly going, and I'm, like, trying to check all the mirrors. But, again, I'm too small to even reach the mirror to, like, turn it down. I don't know why my dad let me do this. It's a terrible idea. So I'm backing up, and I'm backing up, and all of a sudden it's just, and I like put it in park and I turn around and there's a basketball goal like right, right, like dead center. Like I nailed the thing. And I look and I can see up the hill my dad's standing in the driveway like waiting, like staring at me. And I'm like, oh, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And like I like literally like tears start coming in my eyes. Like my dad had just gotten this new car and I'm freaking out and I look at him and he's just like, so I like, I do like my 12 point turn to get it turned around in the driveway and like come up. And at that point, I was so careful. It probably took me like 20 minutes to get it up the driveway. Um, but I get up there, and I remember being blown away by his response in that moment because I was utterly terrified, and his response was, it's okay, it's not a big deal. And I was like, 
okay? So I like got out and like got in the passenger seat and we rode to church and he was completely normal. We talked about a bunch of stuff and we, we were laughing and joking back and forth. And, and, and it was, in the moment, I was just like, whew. Looking back on it, I see the mercy and compassion that it took to do that. Because in all honesty, not even my kid, if I gave one of you guys the keys to my truck, and it's a 95, it's an old piece of junk, but if I gave one of you guys the keys and backed it into a, a basketball goal, I'd be like, are you serious right now? I'd be like, Graham, come on, man. Don't back my truck into a basketball goal. It's okay, Graham. I forgive you. It was a tough one to forgive. But he had such mercy and compassion on me, and I see that as, as a father... I see that grace and mercy that he showed to me as his child. How much more will my heavenly father show grace and mercy to me as his loved child? How much more will he show that to you as his beloved children? It's such an amazing thing to think of that God gives us this beautiful picture on earth of what his relationship is like with us when it comes to fatherhood, that we get to experience, hopefully you'll get to grow up and have kids one day, and you'll get to experience that father-son relationship, and you'll get to see such a beautiful picture of how God loves you. But, but the reality is you're sinful, and you're flawed, and you're imperfect, and you can't even begin to imagine how much more God loves you than you love that child. And that's the reality of how much God loves us and how much he cares about us. And it goes on in verse 14 and says why he loves us and why he has compassion and mercy on us. It says 14, because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And that's the reality of the fact that God remembers us. And and along with having a proper view of God, along with having a right view of who he is, this awe-inspiring, perfect being that, that sits up there and has a, a full authority to judge all of creation because he created it. Along with understanding that comes understanding a proper view of who you are. You're not the maker of your destiny. You're not this, this uh, powerful being within your own realm of creation. That's not who you are. You don't have the authority to go out and to say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and I'm going to make everything happen perfectly in my life, and I'm going to become a doctor, and I'm going to make lots of money, and I'm going to have a big family, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. How well has that worked out for a lot of us in this room? Life throws curveballs your way because you're not the one in authority. You're not the one in authority to make the decisions. You're not the one in authority to, to do these things with your life. There's someone else higher and greater in authority and David makes it very clear here. He says, he remembers that we are dust. Verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember his commandments. Man is nothing on this earth. We, are, we, we live, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. One of the Psalms we were reading a couple weeks ago said something about, you know, you know, we might live 70 years if by great strength of, of, of ourselves we might live 80 years. But in reality, it doesn't matter. It's all going to pass away. And that's the reality of, of us here on this earth. It's all going to pass away. It's all going to go away. 
And there's only one thing that's going to be left in the end. And that is a perfect, holy God. And, and so, how we live, the decisions that we make every single day, must be made in light of who God is. Must be made in light of who we are. David goes on in verse 19, he says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And right here at the end, he's going to bring it all back and help us to understand how we respond with view of God and his perfect holiness and his mercy and his love and his justice, and his wrath. With, with, in, in view of all that, and in view of all that we are, as, as grass that fades away, as the flower that is blown away by the wind, in view of all that, how do we respond? He says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. So he's working his way down creation. He's got angels He's got people, all the people of the world who are doing, following his will, all his creation. And then he brings it back personally. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Everything is going to bless his name. Everything is going to praise his holy name. And, and he brings it back at the end. And, and, and the psalmist David here, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's, he's calling out to himself to bless the Lord because David knows, like we know, so many times in life, we fall short. So many times in life, we want to seek other things. So many times in life, we want to go in different directions. And so he's calling out to his soul, saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. With all that is within me, praise his holy name. This isn't something that always comes natural. This isn't something that always comes easy. But when we have a right view of God and we have a right view of ourself within that creation, we can call out to our soul and say, Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Let all that is within me praise his holy name. I want to challenge you guys as you leave this place this week, and especially as we're going to get up and sing one more song. I want to challenge you guys to understand that, that praising God for who he is, for what he's done, is not something that ends when the guitar finishes Lot's chord. It's not something that ends when the music stops and when we walk out of the room. It's something that continues every day. It's an attitude of worship that the psalmist that David found himself in every day of his life that he continually tried to come back to bless the Lord, O oh my soul. It's an attitude that we should have every morning when we wake up. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let all that is within me praise his holy name. It's an attitude that we should have every moment that we sit in our desks at work, every moment that we're sitting behind a desk at class. Our attitude should be one of praise towards God. And let me tell you this, when life gets hard, when, when things get stressful, when you're tempted to fall away, one huge thing that's going to help you in that is having a proper view of the God that you serve and a proper view of who you are in His creation. Within his creation, you are dust, you are a flower passing away. But through all of that, through all of that, 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So great is his steadfast love towards you, towards me. It doesn't matter that I'm dust passing away on this earth. His great steadfast love is toward me. That's the reality of who I am in the creation of God. That's the reality of who I am standing in front of this awe-inspiring, glorious creator, holy creator. And I can only do that because of the forgiveness that he had for me, uh, of my iniquity, of my sins. But as you leave this place, this mindset, this way of living your life is not just a, ah, maybe. This needs to be every ounce of who we are. This needs to be every moment of our day to bless the Lord with all that is within us. I would challenge you to spend some time this weekend figuring out, this week figuring out what that looks like in your life. What does that look like in your life? Are you having, you know, daily time in your word? Are you spending time with God every single day? Picking up your Bible, actually reading it, not letting it gather dust. Not using it as a, as a really cool laptop stand or a really cool doorweight, or a really cool paperweight on your coffee table, or a great, you know, coaster for glasses. But actually picking this up and seeing it as the Word of God written to you so that you can have a loving relationship with your holy Creator. How do you praise God in every aspect of every day? How do you praise God when you go to work? And I want you to think about that. I want you to go into your community groups and discuss that. How do you praise God with all that is within you when you go to work? And don't give me some, oh, well, you know, we could tell people about Christ. No, how do you do it? Who do you go tell about Christ? Who sits in the cubicle next to you that's never heard about the name of Christ that you need to go talk to? Think specific. Think about that person. How do you praise God's name with all that you are when you're sitting in class? How do you praise God with, with all that you are when you're sitting at home with your unsaved roommates? How do you praise God with all that you are when you leave this place and go to lunch right now? How do you bless the Lord with all that is within your soul? Every moment, every day, with all that we are. How do you do that? Let's pray.